I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time for the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast, answering your questions from the General's Quarters every week, right here on BallQuest. Good Thursday morning, everybody. Welcome into the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast. I'm Eric Kane. Grant Ramey, Brent Hubs, and Austin Price. As always, a big thanks to Exterior Home Solutions for making this coverage possible. You can get a free estimate today by giving them a call at 865-524-5888 and you can win a free roof from Exterior Home Solutions by nominating a deserving family at exteriorhomesolutions.com slash makeover. That ends October 1st, so go ahead and get in those nominations today. But it's Exterior Home Solutions. It's the roofing choice for East Tennessee for quite some time. Appreciate their partnership over there. we got a whole lot of fun to get into today. A lot of questions. Tennessee getting ready for the home opener with Austin P. That'll be a 5 o'clock kick at Neyland Stadium on Saturday. We'll go ahead and jump in with Sam Smith, 2233. How much would you rotate the offensive line this week playing a bad FCS team, Grant? Um, to quote uh, Kevin Hart, you do you, boo-boo. So if you're going to if you're gonna rotate guys all year long, do it against Austin P. Whatever the end game is here, if, if you're wanting to find five guys and stick with them, then start that process of finding five guys and sticking with them. But if you're going to keep rotating all season long, don't stop against Austin P. Every Every combination you ever wanted to look at, I would look at in this game. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I a ton. I mean, I, I would rotate. I'd get a, a bunch of bodies, um, you know, work. But, I mean, specifically with those starting seven or eight, um, I would, uh, as Hub just said, I would look at anything that you're wanting to tinker with. If you're wanting to put Dane at center and move Ollie to the left guard or whatever, uh, do it. Nashville 615, favorite Conjures Holloway story, whether it be football-related or off the field, Brent? Condridge, when he used to uh, uh, cover or work the gate at practice, I don't know why he was working the gate. He was he was out watching practice during um, kind of lulls in practice or during stretch, whatever. He would always grab a football, and sometimes we'd be out there just kind of throwing a football around, and he would walk over and immediately grab your hand and and fix fix your throwing mechanics. He was always trying to tell everybody how to, how to throw a football and how to help you throw a football. Um, you know, he, he's a treasure, and um, he's a guy that loves Tennessee. Uh, I had a chance to hang out with him on the road some and, and hear stories, and he's a great storyteller um, about not just foot, not just his time at Tennessee, but, you know, in, in, in the Canadian Football League and, and all baseball and everything else. Um, just, just a guy who uh, was a lot of fun and is a lot of fun to, to sit around and, and hear stories from and, and talk to. So I've always enjoyed – uh, learning as much as I can about Tennessee football and his life story because it's pretty incredible. Brent, did you did you drive to Alabama for his commitment ceremony or how did you cover it? <laughs> no, I, I was not in attendance for that one, Grant. I, I think I had I think I had school drop off that morning. That's how old okay. I am, right? Got you. <laughs> okay, we'll go to Nashville 94. 
A few weeks into the high school football season, are there any new names, Austin, popping up on Tennessee's board? No, not as of now. Normally that happens, you know, mid-September. So I would expect if there's anything new to be popping up in the next, you know, two to three weeks. Um, so that's kind of where it's at right now. And now we'll move on to I Miss Denarius Moore. As you look forward to next season's depth chart, where does the staff need to start developing players and providing playing time? Says he knows that it's the next man up approach on defense, but can't help but look at how senior heavy Tennessee is and worry about certain spots in this offense. A lot of seniors on the offensive and defensive lines, a lot of seniors in the defensive backfield at linebacker. Uh, this seems littered with seniors, be good and bad thing, but plenty to replenish. Grant looking at 2024. Uh, I don't know where you start. Um, I mean, Saturday against Austin Peay, your best chance to, to play as many freshmen as you can. It feels like this team is all seniors and all freshmen. It feels like there's no in-between uh, on this roster. So I, I don't know which position group you would pick first, uh, Hubs or Austin, if you all have one of those. But I, I don't think there's really a bad place you could start or mention. Well, it's pretty simple for me. It's it's the young offensive linemen. I mean, they, they've got to figure out where they're going to go there, Hubber. I mean, you look at both lines of scrimmage, Eric says, you know, that they're – you know, senior heavy, and he's absolutely right. But there are some young pieces on the defensive line you really like. Offensive line, I think there's a lot that you just don't know about, and they've got to figure out what it's about and and figure out if they need to how, – how big they're going to have to go into the portal at the end of the year. I mean, obviously, they, you know, they're signing around five offensive linemen in this class, but they're going to have to go to the portal because I think, you know, you can't go in here relying on a bunch of freshmen to come in here and, and block for you a year from now. So uh, I think they need to figure out where they're at with some of these guys that are going to be – sophomores and juniors a year from now yeah i agree and and i and i'm to add to that a little bit i think because they rotate so much on the defensive side of the ball now there's going to be a natural progression of that development uh you know because look i mean joshua joseph's going to play you're going to see caleb herring more as the season goes along um i don't know how much you'll see a guy like nathan robinson or some of those guys in the interior but you also have some veterans there who have a chance to come back for another year if they elect to do so on the offensive side of the ball, you know, they're, they're rotating offensive linemen, but they're rotating veteran with a veteran. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they're rotating a senior and saying, okay, let's get, let's get this freshman or, or a red shirt freshman here, a few series and develop him as you go. So my biggest question about this team is, you know, and why you have to take advantage of games like this is with those young offensive linemen. That's why I said earlier in the week, Javante Spragans, I'm getting him off the field you know, as quick as I can. And, and I'm trying to get to some of those guys who you may not get them on the field again this year. You don't know. And so you better take a look at some of those guys and let them figure out where they are and how much they need to develop moving forward. And speaking of which, um, Facker 43 <clears throat> wants to know, how soon do you see Nico on Saturday? When do we need to see Nico get in there and get, get his first action? Well, I, I mean, I think I think it's not just Nico. I mean, I, I think you've got to. And again, I, I'm gonna. I've been on this soapbox all week. I mean, I wouldn't bring those starters back out to start the second half if the first half goes the way it's supposed to. I'm getting those guys off the field as fast as I can get them off the field. I don't. I don't need to see Aaron Beasley play 30 snaps in this game, right? I mean, I don't need to see um, Joe Milton play a bunch of snaps in this game. This is not about stats. Now, there's some guys – I mean, I think Dante Thornton needs more work because he's got to get more acclimated into this deal. I don't need to see a bunch of Ramel Keaton. Let's see Caleb Webb. Let's see Chaz Nimrod. I think the I think it's not just the quarterback position. I think across the board, in my opinion, you, you get to those guys just as fast as you can get to them 
because again, you don't know when you're going to get another opportunity like this. Also, do you have anything different about Nico? I mean, I think it's, I think it's pretty important to get him a, at least a half's worth of work, right? I mean, you don't want to. I think Graham might have said this earlier in the week. You don't want to give Nico three or four drives and then give Gaston Moore some drives. Like, I mean, you need to play Nico. You need to get him as much playing time as physically possible, and you're not going to get a better opportunity than here this Saturday with Austin P. Yeah, and you know. I- I do think it's important to to let him run the full offense too. Like, you know, put some of those young receivers in there with him. I mean, I think it's important to let him play with some older guys too, especially when he first gets in. But even in the fourth quarter, if you're up a bunch, I mean, I think you're letting him run the full offense. Don't sit there and just hand off, hand off, hand off. I mean, like, I think, you know, you're a play away from him being your quarterback at any time. And I just think that he needs as much, much game action as he can get. I would give him the entire second half because, like Joey Halsey talked about on Tuesday, you need to get past that adrenaline spike of it's game day, it's Neyland Stadium, there's a pretty big crowd here. It's obviously not going to be the most intense atmosphere in the second half of a game against Austin P. but just to feel a little bit normal on the field, live bolts flying, all that stuff, and, and to kind of get past that, I guess, that newness of it. After watching a week one of the SEC slate, this is from Hard Hat Ball. Which game do you feel better about in regards to the ball's chances, and which one do you think will be harder than originally thought? I think the first game that will come to mind for every Tennessee fan will be Florida. Florida. Florida looks like crap against Utah. Of course, Tennessee goes to the swamp week after next, but A&M, South Carolina looked really, really bad. Of course, Alabama won, Georgia won, all that. Any game in particular, um, Austin, that kind of stands out to you that will be reflective whenever Tennessee plays this team in the future. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to go Alabama on the road. You know, I think Alabama's good. I don't – as of right now, going, it's one game against MTSU. But, you know, I, I wasn't just enamored with them. Like, like oh, yeah, okay. The, the, you know, it, it, when I watched them, I didn't sit around and think, man, those skill guys are unguardable, you know. Um, and that defense is – you're not going to do anything against them. Like, I think they're good. Now, what do they look like this week? My opinion may change after they play Texas. You know, my, my opinion could be enforced or it could all, <laughs> I could be doing a 180 depending on how they play the Longhorns. But, uh, you know, for right now, for me, it's Alabama. Yeah, and, and for me, on the other side of it, it's probably A&M, right? Um, let's see what A&M looks like on the road. That could change if they don't play well against Miami this week. But, I mean, you, you knew A&M had a lot of talent, Um they look really fast. I mean, they look gifted. You know, I thought that game would be a challenge for Tennessee. Um, and, and I think it will be they, – they didn't do anything to tell me that that game is not going to be a challenge for Tennessee when they come to Knoxville. So, that that would be the one team – again, it may change in week two. Uh, but, I, you know, I thought they looked pretty, pretty organized, pretty in sync. And you saw some of those young guys who were thrust into the, into the field last year assert themselves and show up a little bit. I think their defensive front's pretty good. What I didn't understand, what I still don't understand, we Eric and I were driving back while this was happening, but I opened my phone and Georgia's up 7 nothing on UT Martin at home with like five minutes left in the second quarter. Like that's, that's difficult for me to wrap my brain around. Even if you're not really trying to do anything, if you're Georgia, it feels like you're going to accidentally be up 21 to nothing after, after three drives. So I haven't gone back and watched that game. I don't plan to, but uh, that one was a surprise to me, I guess, that it was so – they looked a little human, I guess, based on the score. Yeah, and, th- you know, the interesting thing about that game to me is that there was all this talk 
Eric, about Georgia's improved weapons and they've got more weapons on the perimeter and things like that. I didn't think they showed up particularly well in game one. Now, now the tight ends legit. We all know how good Brock Bowers is. Uh, but where, where are some of those, you know, there was all the talk about the Missouri transfer receiver, right? He was, he was all the rage. They were pretty, you know, uninspiring from a passing game in week one. Now we'll see how they build moving forward and they're really good on defense. But I think a lot of people are expecting a really explosive offensive show in the passing game. And, and you didn't get that, whether that was by design or, or whether that was just, you know, guys didn't play very well in their first game. I don't know, but. Uh, that was a little bit surprising to see them kind of be pedestrian on offense, particularly in that first half. Yeah, I mean, I think at the skill player, you know, positions for Georgia, you you got better from last year. Um, understand you lost a a quarterback, you won you two straight national championships. And, you know that that's huge. Um, but uh, you know, from a skill position, you you probably got better. And what a luxury it is to have a All American tight end, you know, Brock Bowers, while you try to figure that out in the early going. So I think Georgia's going to be fine, but you're right. It was a little slow out of the gate, and that's a little bit surprising, especially the level of competition they were playing in, in week one. Well, Mike, you know, I, I, I want to add to that just for a brief minute here. I'm interested to see if they were to lose a game early. Like, you know, Kirby's getting a, a, a hall pass on all these arrests. And I mean, you got here you are, you got a staffer now that did it again this week. I mean, like, I mean, well, they got Roscoe with the road tra- with the speed traps down there. I mean, like it is it is bizarre to me that all these people keep getting pulled over. You talk about Groundhog Day; it just goes on on and on and on. So, my question is: is like, do you all think, you know, if he were to lose a game or two this year, all of a sudden that flips? I mean, they're not. You know, I'm not trying to make a mountain out of a mole here, here, but nobody nobody is addressing the elephant in the room here. How much do you think that that gets talked about about there being uh, kind of, you know, the hands off the wheel of, of it, so to speak, if they were to lose a game with all the offseason stuff that's went on. It'll 100% be a storyline. It'll be, you know, there'll be columns that night. Because, uh, I mean, Georgia's supposed to win every single game it plays. So as soon as you lose one, it's the focus wasn't there. Attention to detail wasn't there. They were goofing off in the offseason. They weren't working out. I mean, yeah, it's it's going to be loud and in your face as soon as they lose. So will they lose? You know, we'll see. But um, especially a game – Again, like if, if Georgia loses to Tennessee at Neyland, like that's not a shocker at all. But if Georgia were to lose a game before Tennessee, oh, that would be that would definitely be a shocker. Yeah, they're not losing. Yeah. With that schedule. <laughs> I mean, with that schedule. Does Gibbs not... play a tougher schedule, Brent? No, not this year. Um I mean, seriously. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean, but I mean they're not gonna lose at Auburn. Hugh Freeze is not gonna beat them in year one. Everybody loves Hugh though. There's freeze warning. Yeah, okay. Um, South Carolina's offensive front. I mean, do, do we think, do we think they're going to hold up against Georgia in a couple of weeks? They got ball state this week, UAB. You think you, I mean, you think Trent Dilfer is going to go in there and, and scheme up Kirby smart and put 35 or 40 on the board against him. I mean, that schedule for them is, is set up for them to, to cruise. I mean, that they're, I don't, I don't see them dropping a game until, I mean, again, the Tennessee game, you know, perhaps, but the one thing you can say about this with Kirby Smart's teams, whether you like Kirby Smart or you dislike Kirby Smart, his teams typically have gotten better throughout the year, and they've played their best football at the end of the year compared sure. to the start of the year. There have yeah. been a couple of games. Now, last year was an exception because they beat the brakes off Oregon, right? I mean, but but they struggled offensively. Their defense beat, beat Oregon, 
And he's like, okay, we have Stetson Bennett, can't win the big game. And, all, and then all of a sudden you look, come middle of the year, late in the year, they start scoring points and they just kind of get better as they go, which I think will be the case. Now, the, the whole Mike Bobo thing is interesting because I don't think Munkin got enough credit for what he did offensively um, to score points in a style of play that Kirby Smart wants to play, which is not take a whole lot of risks and give the ball back to the to the other team anytime soon because he wants to ride that clock, particularly when they get a lead. Vol for Live says, how are we feeling about Danny Okoye? Feels like Oklahoma took the lead after this current or after here lately. Looks like he took lead, of course. Um, you know, that one is, is big for Tennessee. One of the biggest uh, targets still left on the board is Tennessee trying to close out this class. Yeah, I think he's going to Oklahoma unless he makes it here for an official visit at the end of the month. You know, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean, they seem like they've got all the momentum there. And, you know, um, they obviously uh, did a good job of using their commits to lean on him this past weekend and so on and so forth. And, I mean, again, the kid's from Oklahoma, right? I, you know, always knew, like, if he took a visit there, that would be worrisome. And so, um, you know, obviously they were able to uh, leave, leave a big impact. Now, if he makes it back here, Tennessee will have a shot, just like if Chris Cole makes it here this weekend. Tennessee's got a shot. Now, again, Chris Cole's supposed to be here. You know, but you never know. I mean, like, you know, I mean, crazier things have happened where kids, you know, cancel visits and stuff at the last minute. So, you know, I think it's all about getting them back on campus, especially with the Koye and Cole. AP is, I mean, with with Cole, it's Tennessee, Georgia is what everybody thinks. Is there anybody in the weeds out there that maybe we've just kind of dismissed because of distance? Or I mean, I know Miami is there. I mean, is that is the USC thing real? You think with him? Yeah, I mean, you know, go to lunch with Bronny James out there in LA, and you know, and that stuff leaves an impression on kids. And you know, again, like everybody has to decide what they want to do with you know with, with recruiting when it comes to NIL, and and every school's different. And so, I mean, you know, we'll see Tennessee again if he makes it to campus this weekend. It'll be a short, really short visit, but you'll have a puncher's chance, and we'll see if. Uh, Tennessee can knock it out of the park, um, you know, but it feels like USC does have some momentum here, um, you know, exiting this past weekend with uh, Chris Cole. Speaking of uh, kind of recruiting ball in South Carolina says any chance Sammy Brown looks around if Clemson implodes. I don't think so. I don't think they're going to implode. They're still going to win a majority of their games, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they've won, won 10 games in a, in a season, however many seasons in a row, like, it's the ACC. Like, you know, they're still going to win enough games towards – I don't think the bottom's falling out enough for Sammy Brown to look around. And if he looked around, it probably would be Georgia, right? Georgia. Yep, that's right. Tennessee was third there. I mean, and I, I don't think Georgia's, Georgia would tell him no. Uh, but I, I don't we'll, – we'll see where the – what's going to be fast, Eddie, with Clemson with me? And Grant, you can jump in here. Everybody can jump in here. They've had this policy that you can't take a visit after you commit, right? Yep. So what happens if they lose to Florida State? Do some of those commits say, you know what, Coach? I'm not sure where you're going. I'm going to take a visit. And if that's the case, is Dabo and his staff going to cut all cut those guys if they want to take a visit? I mean, listen, it's easy to sell. You can't take a visit when you're 10, 11 wins, 12 wins every year. You're in the college football playoff. You're this, that, and the other. That's an easier thing to kind of hold over a kid. The kid's going to have some leverage if Clemson's out of the hunt in three weeks and, and not a factor at it all. I, I'm going to be interesting to see kind of if they back off that policy and sort of what happens there 
if some kids want to take a visit. Because remember this about kids, Grant. They know and understand they got more leverage than they've ever had in the college game right now. And Dabo better know he has less leverage than he's ever had. I mean, the way that – I mean, obviously you win 16 and 18 titles, that's great. You, you've built something huge at Clemson. But to get handled the way they did at Duke Monday night, I mean, that wasn't a fluke. That was a beatdown. That was a – Terrible performance by Clemson, a really great performance by Duke. And I think you have to reevaluate your policies, whatever they are, and make changes moving forward because your program's obviously not where you want it to be. So it's, it's hard to have those policies and expect kids to stick to them when, like you said, there's no leverage from Dabo's side of it. The kids are going to have all the leverage. A couple more here from Ball and SC. Um, I don't know if this is for this year or just in general of who's on the team who's on the roster right now, but I'll just say for this year, could Tennessee have multiple running backs drafted? I would say no. Anybody? I would say no. Yeah, no. No. D. Williams. This this is a question on the board earlier this week, or maybe in the chat. I can't remember. D. Williams, best punt returner at Tennessee since when? Cordero Patterson. He's. I think he's better than Cam Sutton. And Evan Berry was only a kickoff guy. And Bayless was just punt until he came here and he learned to do kicks. Or, sorry, it was the other way around. He was just kicks, and then he learned yeah. to do punts. Yeah, Evan, SNCP returning punts. Yeah. Evan Berry came to mind as, just as a returner in general because it felt like every time he touched the ball, he was going to get a pretty good chunk of yardage. And that's the way it feels like with D. Just the way D returns it, I mean, the way he stays north and south and he cuts hard and he gets up the middle of the field, it feels like anytime he touches the ball, he's going to get a pretty good chunk of yards. Yeah, the difference, I, I, you know, I, I just I, he, he reminds you a lot of Cam Sutton, the way he – the way he maneuvers and, and, and cuts and 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 sees the field. Um, I think he's a little better than Cam. The thing about Evan Berry, however, is like he was so hard to bring down. Like how many yards after contact did he get? I mean, you know, I mean, and, and you go back to that 2016 Georgia game, how instrumental was the, you know, the return after the, the penalty for celebration that got Tennessee into position to throw the Hail Mary? Well, Evan can run, and, and Evan was a guy who – trusted the hole was going to be there i mean he never danced i mean he i mean he was he was catch it and get completely vertical and go wherever the hole was supposed to be that that was the way he played and you know they his teammates believed in him they blocked it up really well um you know d is a guy that i think has really good vision which is why the offensive question you asked earlier this week is a bit intriguing although it's, he's not going to play on offense i think he's got really good really good vision um He's faster than Cam Sutton. Um, in, in my opinion, got more of a burst there. Uh, I think that if people continue to punt him the football, he's gonna break he's gonna break records at Tennessee this year. I just if I'm if I'm scouting Tennessee, I'm putting the ball out of bounds. I'm I'm yep. just putting away from him. I'm not gonna let him return kicks. Um, I don't know how many people are gonna kick to him moving forward, but uh, if they do, then they're 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 risking some bad things to happen because the guy's super dynamic with the ball in his hands. You want me to completely oversell D Williams and show my Chicago bears fanboy? He reminds uh, me of Devin Hester. Oh, I knew you were going because there. Devin had Devin Hester's skill was setting up a return team to make one hard cut and get up the middle of the field and find a crease. And he was just hard to get a hand on. It feels like D Williams is hard to get a hand on. I mean, most I, I'm not, are, yeah. I'm not saying he's Devin Hester. And I mean, are Devin you Hester, saying he's I, a hall of famer, one of the I best to ever play? Uh, I mean, Devin's Devin's not a hall of famer. He should be. I, yeah, he absolutely should be as a returner. Yeah. But just the way he looks, feels like D just sets him up for one hard cut to get past that first wave. And it feels like after that, it's, it's, 
how are you going to get him down? And that's the way it felt like with Hester, too. Does that mean CP's a Hall of Famer then? Hey, CP was CP, on the all decade team. CP's a running back. He's a wide receiver. He's a kick returner. He's a punt returner. He definitely hey, uh, has had an insane career. We've talked about the Tennessee game all week. We you know, break it down ad nauseum, right? Like getting the guys in early, you know, getting Joe out of the game, getting this guy out of the game. D. Williams could honestly hurt Tennessee trying to get to that point because, you know, he returns one or two punts, one for a touchdown, another one deep in territory and leaves you on a short field. That's good to get the, the lead up, but as far as trying to get like they're not older guys. They're not punting to D. Williams on Saturday. Dude, they were they punted to him all week last week. Yeah, but I mean, look, listen, and, and also the Virginia coaching staff said we were sp- surprised by Tennessee's speed and their depth. <laughs> like, did you did you not do any research? Also, what have you done all off season? Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, on the flip side, Austin, I'd be more worried about um, Jackson Ross not getting many opportunities to try to right the wrongs punting. I think that's yeah. fair. I think that's yeah. a fair point, a good point. We got a couple more questions to get into here on the VolQuest podcast, but as always, want to give a shout out and a big thank you to our friends, Exterior Home Solutions, for making all this coverage possible. Exterior Home Solutions will make one family's dream come true. Do you know a family need of a new roof? Maybe it's leaking or needs repaired. Whatever the needs may be, Exterior Home Solutions is going to get one lucky family a exterior home makeover. To nominate a family that you think is deserving, simply go to the website at exteriorhomesolutions.com slash makeover, and you can make your nomination there. Exterior Home Solutions wants to give the gift of home to one lucky family. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. As always, a big thank you to our friends, Exterior Home Solutions. Uh, you can win a free roof. Nominations up until October the 1st, exteriorhomesolutions.com. What do, you, what do you think about doing a hubs makeover? <laughs> he's, got, he's, got a, he's got a Sergio Garcia shirt on today. I mean, you know, and I mean like 1999 Medina scissor kick Sergio. It's because you scolded me for having a t-shirt on and told me I didn't look professional. Uh-oh. It, was, it was a sleep shirt. Uh-oh. It Here I a, am. It was a sleep shirt. It was not a t-shirt. <laughs> was it a gown? <laughs> no, it was not a gown. It was he like the, he had the triangle like, hat on. It was like some I saw Saturday at Nissan Stadium. <laughs> Okay. You're all terrible. Got a couple here from Athrun. Um, how's it looking with Chris Cole a couple days ahead of the visit? You mentioned earlier, you know, keep Taz, make sure he gets here. But uh, what's it looking like with Chris Cole? Well, I mean, again, it feels like USC's got a lot of momentum out of the visit last week. Um, you know, I don't know if you read Chad Simmons' update on him, but, you know, it feels like, you know, USC's got some momentum there. Georgia's obviously in place. So is Tennessee. 
You know, Tennessee's got to get him here this weekend. It's a short, abbreviated visit. He's going to be here like 25 hours or something like that. And then, you know, hopefully you can uh, leave enough of an impression. But, you know, I've never had Tennessee as the the team to beat here. I thought they had a real shot with him coming back in. That was based off the fact that I did not think USC was in play. Now that USC's in play, um, you know, I think things got a little tougher for Tennessee. Based on the Virginia game, does it look like Samson is actually the second back and not small? According to Grant's snap counts, according to who actually went in the game in the chronological order, Brent, it would appear that Dylan Sampson was, uh, you know, the, the option ahead of Jabari Small. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't – I think they're 2A and 2B. I agree. Um, I, I think it's a little bit situational. Um they clearly wanted to get to something on that opening drive in the passing game with, with Dylan Sampson there. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that – I think Dylan Sampson's better in the open field. I think Jabari Small's got more power right now between the tackles. Small has a hard time keeping his balance. Uh, there's a couple of runs that look like could be really big runs, but he kind of stumbled over his feet. And I think Grant Jalen Wright's far and away ahead of both of them right now. I think Jalen Wright's maybe the best player on this football team. I think the best offensive player they have. I think it's the what I told Eric when we were leaving was the guy that everybody talked about all fall camp. It felt like that was the Jalen Wright that we saw for uh, all that game. So yeah, I think it's Jalen. And then after that, my, and maybe it changes week to week. But Dylan was the second guy on the field. He was the you know they split the touches pretty evenly. But just based on the rotations, what it looked like it looked like to me, he was the number two running back. How would you say the tight ends performed? Uh, Never notice them unless they make or drop a catch or miss a block. Austin, I think that's a good thing, right? If you're not noticing the tight ends, it means likely they're doing a pretty good job. A lot of inline blocking split outs. Uh, How do you think Castles and Warren did against Virginia? Well, Warren caught a touchdown. His first touchdown he's caught in a while. And McCallum Castles had a nice catch on a a, a little bit of a screen play. And he got up the field and and, showed some athleticism so you know i thought they were fine you know I, I i like when they work the tight ends um you know and and i'd love to see them use jacob's big six seven frame more down around the goal line i thought castles blocked pretty well for his first go of it uh, i really did I, I mean i think that tennessee doesn't run the football that effectively unless the tight ends are blocking and you know they use those guys in a variety of different ways depending on what the run call is sometimes there's a lead blocker you know, in the inside zone stuff. Sometimes there's a kick-out block on the outside stuff. I, I thought Castles for his first game was pretty doggone physical, um, probably a little more physical than I anticipated him being. Here's the deal. I had the, We had him out to tape of a ball club confidential for next week uh, the other night, and he told me that he did a lot of blocking, in, in, you know, at UC Davis uh, because he had to, but he had no coaching on the blocking at UC Davis. So he's like, he goes, he goes I was always willing – and I did it, but I didn't. I was a fish out of water. I didn't understand technique. I didn't understand any of that. And the fact that Alec Ablin is an old offensive lineman, I think, has helped him pick up the the um, the blocking stuff much easier because there is a significant want to there um, from him based on my talk with him a couple of days ago. See, I thought he just split out all the time, and then when he kind of went over what all he did out there, but he just wasn't, you know didn't have the you know proper technique and stuff that made a lot more sense. Line time 0423 Grants. What would benefit Tennessee more this weekend, Texas or Alabama winning the game? Um gosh, I don't know. I don't know really how it makes a difference for Tennessee. You're going to get a shot at Alabama either way, so I guess Alabama winning and staying 
undefeated until you get a shot at them in October? I don't know. Yeah, I don't think if Alabama loses that that their season's over. I mean, no. like, I don't think that that means – I mean, it may as a fan give you more hope because Alabama lost at home to Texas maybe. I, I mean, if that's what you're asking. But in, in terms of what it means for the Tennessee game, I don't think it has any bearing. I, I don't think Alabama's going to fall apart and – Nick's going to lose his team, AP, if they lose to Texas. I don't. I don't think the culture is going that way at Alabama. No. If anything, I think it just makes. But likely, the likelihood is if they lose, what happened? The quarterback played bad, which means I think you could end up seeing a quarterback change. Which you know, to me, again, you know, Milrow has got some deficiencies there. I mean, he throws it okay. He's not not terrible, terrible, not great either. But obviously, he is a a, a thrill a minute when it comes to running the football. And so, um, you know, I, I think that'd be the, where you would see the change. Brent, this is a good one for you. Do a little ball after seeing it in a game setting. Um, again, just one game. I think you need to see it for a couple of games that have a true opinion on it. But do you think the new clock rule helps Tennessee, hurts Tennessee, or makes no difference? Uh, if the defense is getting three and outs, it's not going to make any difference. I mean, you know, you didn't notice the clock rule for Tennessee on Saturday because Virginia couldn't stay on the field. Uh, the challenge and, and where you're going to see that, and I think Josh Heupel was talking about, you know, you need to see a few weeks of this. If you get somebody who really milks the clock and slows the tempo down and you can't get off the field on third down with them, then then they can eat the clock up. I mean, that's what happened in the UCLA game. I mean, Chip Kelly was, you know, at the half and, and post game is lamenting the clock rules. Well, I mean, part of that, Grant was, I mean, Coastal Carolina had two six minute drives out of their first three or four drives in that game. And, and just took the air out of the ball. Um, so if you have somebody who can do that, then the clock rules are going are going to show up. If if you don't, um, then I don't think you're going to notice the clock rules. I I didn't notice it at all on Saturday. I mean, I, I didn't feel like Tennessee lost any possessions, but that's because Tim Banks's guys were getting three and outs. Um, so for it to work against a, an up tempo team, somebody's going to have to be able to stay on the field and, and milk the clock, which is what we've you know, always seen in the, in the past. I mean, I, I don't know that you're going to see 10 minute drives because of the clock rule. You know, I, you might see a seven minute instead of a six minute drive, but, but I don't know that you're going to see that much of it. Now, all this talk about all the extra commercial time. I mean, for the new clock rules, that game wasn't any faster. No, no college football game this weekend was any faster than it was the year before. So if you're not going to fix that part of it, what's the point in the new clock rule? I kind of agree with the coaching staffs on that, that are out there complaining about the clocks. Got to pay the bills. I agree with Brent. That's what makes Florida so interesting to me is Virginia's not a very good offense. Tennessee's defense looked great, but Virginia's pretty awful on the offensive side of the football. Now you got an FCS opponent in week two. And then you go to Florida in week three, and Florida, you know, didn't look great at Utah, obviously, uh, on a national stage. But they do got two good running backs, and they're probably going to try to uh, – if I were them, if I were Billy Napier, I'd be trying to run the football and just milk as much clock as I could and, and try to keep it running to keep the ball out of Tennessee's hands. So that's what makes Florida so interesting to me because of the point Brent made about the – the clock and that might be the first time you really notice it um I, I, you're mumbling i couldn't hear you sorry <laughs> sorry you're trying too hard eric <laughs> <laughs> had to get that in there trying hard to read the questions here sloppy ball after one game uh give an outlandish prediction positive for the team or player by season's end so how many touchdowns dylan samson gonna have ap uh i was gonna go james pierce uh leads the sec with 14 sacks that's a good one I'm going to go with D. Williams breaks uh, every Tennessee punt return, single season punt return record. Tyler Barron is all SEC and uh, a higher draft pick and stays on the field. 
Dylan Sampson, 52 touchdowns. Did I do that math right? Four times 13? Yeah, 52. I don't know. It's never been my strong suit. Pounding thrill. How surprised were you by Dante Thornton's lack of targets impact? Austin, I think you spoke on this uh, on the uh, the roundtable the other day. It was just week one, but I think all of us were kind of expecting like big splash play, Dante Thornton, and, and that'll come, but it didn't in week one. See, I think it happened. I, I'm surprised it didn't happen last week more. Uh, but you know what? I mean, like, how many times have, have you know, outside of Hubs throwing out a wild DeAndre Johnson prediction, like, how many predictions on how a game's going to play out really turn out, turn out to be right? I mean, like, you know, we can sit here and, and dream it up all we want to on how the game's going to be played Saturday, and, you know, you end up with a T-Mac pick in, in short field and then a pick six, and all of a sudden you're up 14 nothing, and Joe's had the ball for, like, 20 yards. So, I mean, like, you just don't know how the games are going to, are going to go. And so um, I, I would venture to say that they can just let him run right by the Austin P secondary Saturday if, if, if need be and try to get him going with an early deep ball. But, you know, I, I mean, I was surprised he had less targets, I guess, than he had. Well, and I mean, I think part of it was the, the offensive plan. They were throwing it more sideways than they were vertical, which plays more to Squirrel's hand. Here's the other thing, too, Grant. You know, Dante Thornton's a talent, and but, but he was not a guy who just put up just stupid, crazy numbers at Oregon in his time there. The, the legend of, of Dante Thornton has grown throughout fall camp with comments made, you know, by coaches and teammates, which probably created some unrealistic expectations for game one. I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with Dante Thornton. I, I'm not suggesting that, but he was kind of built up as a whole lot of something before he ever played in this offense. There you go. And, and we're, and we're as guilty of doing that. Yeah. Right? So. Well, I mean, if you follow, I mean, the offensive coordinator called him a freaky athlete. Yes. Right? Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. If, if he calls him a freaky athlete, I mean, what are we going to do? Ignore it. I mean, and, and there was always a disconnect between how glowingly people talked about him and what the stats said at Oregon, like Hub said. And at the same time, I think there's just a little bit more comfort between Joe and squirrel from what they did last year um, playing, you know, second team together and what they did late in the season that it, I don't think you should be too surprised that squirrel started over Dante or got more targets than Dante. And also I think it's part of like Brent talked about with the scheme. Uh, there wasn't a ton of deep balls or wasn't a ton of trying to go over the top against Virginia. It was to just take what you can get and, and go down the field that way. So it's week one. People are going to overreact, but uh, see what he looks like a month from now. Good walk 73. Can we expect this to be a more run-heavy offense this year? I think, Austin, a big reason why they ran it so much is because Virginia allowed them to do it, and Tennessee just took what Virginia was giving them. Yeah, it all depends on what the defense has given them. But I do think that they're, you know, they do like their tailbacks. I do think, I mean, what is run more, right? Is it 3% more? You know, I mean, Tennessee already runs an awful lot yeah, to begin I mean, with. Yeah, they do. And, I mean, it's very balanced. I mean, you know, could they run it a fraction more? Sure, they could. I think it'll depend on the game and how the defense plays and your opponent. Well, one of the things, Grant, I I, I appreciate about Josh Heupel and I appreciate about what he does with his offense is, I mean, nobody takes more what the defense gets. I mean, he's you know most of these guys are hey I got you know I got to get on my Waffle House play sheet right I got to get to all of my stuff and we got to get over the top and show them we can do this pretty simple you're gonna line up with six in the box they're gonna run the football that's why Tennessee's always run it more than they've thrown it since Josh Heupel's been the head coach at Tennessee I, I appreciate the fact that he has that kind of patience to, to to really dictate it you know if you're gonna try to do that that's fine we got no problem running it right down your throat 
And they spent the first couple drives against Virginia doing that, and then it felt like they got away from a little bit, and then they went right back to it, and they got back to scoring yep. however many touchdowns on however many uh, possession span that was where they really took over the game and, 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 and made it a blowout. So, yeah, stick with what you got. I think that's the best position group you got on the team. Uh, if they're going to run for – if Jalen Wright's going to run for 9.6 a pop, then feed it to him all day. Last one goes to Vol underscore Nation 3. Will they open the playbook cup a little bit more against Austin P, or will it look a lot like what happened in the Virginia game? Oh, uh, I know. mean, I, I think that they're going to – I mean, I think they'll take the top off of it. I, I think it'll be a little more – because I, I don't – even if Austin P's trying to, you know, lighten the, the box and try to – You can run past them. them. I think you're going to – I think you can just do more things against those guys. And, and I think – you probably, you know, in the short amount, if things go the way it's supposed to in the short amount of time that Joe's playing, you probably don't want all of his throws to be sideways throws, right? You probably want him and his receivers to kind of get in a better rhythm and, and get all those things going. So I think you'll see Tennessee probably be a little bit more aggressive vertically in this game. And I don't know that Austin P really wants to – do they really want to line up with six in the box and give up 10 yards of carry? I'm not sure that that's a, a way that they're going to play defense either. So – I think Tennessee will take more chances vertically. Appreciate you guys as always sending in these questions every single day for the or every single week for the Thursday Mailbag Podcast here at VolQuest.com. It's presented by our friends Exterior Home Solutions. Give them a call today and you can get a free estimate, 865-524-5888. If it's the East Tennessee community first, that's Exterior Home Solutions. They are rooted in, in the trusted source, the first choice for roofing, and uh, exterior home renovations. And again, 524-5888 for a free estimate today. That's Exterior Home Solutions. Tennessee and Austin P. the home opener, be at Neyland Stadium, 5 o'clock Eastern time. Going to be a stream game, that one game of the year that's streamed. It'll be on the SEC Network Plus and ESPN Plus. Uh, just like you watch a baseball game, the majority of those, that's how you're going to watch the football game this weekend. For Grant Ramey, Brent Hubbs, Austin Price, I'm Eric Kane. Thanks so much for being here and listening to us on the BallQuest Podcast. You've been listening to the BallQuest Mailbag Podcast every week right here on BallQuest. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.